You know, we live in a sex-crazed world. Would you agree? I mean, from advertising to movies to social media, the visual arts, we live in a world, I, I think it's fair to say, that seems to be obsessed with sex and sexuality and the expression of oneself sexually. Uh, the world's understanding of gender is also changing to a place it's never been in all of recorded human history. One's gender is no longer defined biologically by birth, but rather it's defined by how one feels. Literally, how one feels on a given day, a given week, a given season of one's life. So this creates a very interesting context in which to be a disciple of Jesus. The unspoken rule of our culture is express yourself sexually in any way you feel like, as long as, quote, nobody is getting hurt. Some of you lived through the sexual revolution of the 1960s, I was just a little kid then, didn't really understand what was happening. But that sexual revolution in the 60s seems like kindergarten games compared to the unbridled sexual exploration of today's culture. Three weeks ago, the former New York City mayor, Bill de Blasio, and his wife, Sherlane McRae, really made headlines nationally when they announced that they were opening, their words, not mine, opening their marriage so that they could date other people. They are choosing a form of polyamory. It's a sort of consensual non-monogamy where you just have open sexual relationships with other consenting adults as you may choose. Now, to the typical humanistic or liberal-minded American, this is seen as a wonderful advance in our evolutionary process. Wow. How wonderful that they're so secure that they can express their sexuality in this kind of way. Wow. Oh, if we could all be that enlightened. There seems to be, in our culture, no foreseeable limit to what people are willing to do in order to prove that they are free and that they can do whatever they want with whomever they want, whenever they want, sexually, and try to find fulfillment in their life. Now, in a world like this, I think you'll agree with me that the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are very, very challenging. Let's look at them together. Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, starting in verse 27. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That's in the 10 Commandments, commandment number seven. But I tell you that, that anyone who looks at a woman, and by the way, throughout this today, this is not just about men lusting after women. Can we be clear about that? This goes both ways, although men tend to be 
all of the experts say men tend to be more visually driven than women. But this doesn't just apply to men. Jesus could have easily flipped the coin here and talked about women having inappropriate desires or fantasies about men. But if you, if you do that, Jesus said you've already committed adultery with this person in your heart. You, he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, Jesus said, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I wanna unpack this with you today by talking, first of all, about what Jesus is not forbidding, then about what he is prohibiting, because he is prohibiting something here. We're gonna try to get at what that is. And then finally, we'll end up uh, by talking about how we can apply it to our lives. So, Thanks for being a part of this. If you're at Saratoga, Half Moon, Latham, joining us online, we're really glad that you're here. First of all, what is Jesus not forbidding? I want you to really think about this first. We're gonna put it on the screens so that everyone can see it. Right here on the screens, it, we're gonna look at this statement that, Jesus is not forbidding the joyful, meaningful, and free expression of sexual intimacy between a man and woman in marriage. That's what he is not forbidding. Now, this is a shocker to some people. Sex was God's idea. Did you know that? Don't ever forget that. He not only created it, as some of you are very excited about, I can see, and that's awesome, but he also, get this, he actually commanded it. Did you, did you know that? In the book of Genesis, chapter one, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. He's saying this to the first people, Adam and Eve. Now think of that. The first command that God ever gives to humanity is, go have sex. That's what he said. Make babies. Now, there's definitely more to sex than procreation. It's also wonderful for bonding within marriage. It's a genuine expression of love, and it is also for pure pleasure. But hear me today. Satan the enemy of your soul who wants to wreck and destroy and twist and pervert everything good that God has created and everything God has intended, Satan is gonna try to mess this up for you. In fact, after many years now in ministry talking with literally thousands, no exaggeration, thousands of people, I will tell you this, Satan will do everything everything he can to get you to have sex before you're married. And after you're married, he will do everything he can to keep you from having sex with your spouse. That's just the way he works. But God prescribes sane sexuality. 
He said, it's a wonderful thing. It's a gift. I'm for it. It's my idea. I created it, God says. And not only that, I'm commanding it in the right context. You say, whoa, 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 Pastor Rex, I'm confused right now. Because I grew up in a religious context, some of you would say, where I was given the strong impression that sex is an awful and ugly thing. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if we saw a show of hands, there would be lots of hands up that that is honestly the impression you got in your religious teaching, in your upbringing. And that's right. Let's, let's be real. The established church in all three of its major branches, Protestant, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, in all of those expressions, the church has not always promoted an accurate biblical view of sex. That is just a fact. So we need to acknowledge that and own it up front. In the first few centuries of Christianity, the established church developed a mentality, and it kept growing, that sex is to produce babies only but don't have sex too often, and for God's sake, don't you dare enjoy it. That was honestly sort of the mentality. In fact, one of the well-known early leaders in the fourth century, he lived to 420 AD, Jerome is his name. He translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, we call it the Latin Vulgate. And it became the established text for centuries. Jerome was a great scholar, wrote some biblical commentaries, some of, whom are still, some of which are still being used today. But Jerome got this wrong. He made this statement, anyone who is too passionate a lover with his own wife is himself in danger of being an adulterer. That is a ridiculous statement. But that's the form of thinking that was prevalent in those days. And later, church authorities kind of built on that growing understanding, and they began to create edicts forbidding sexual intimacy in marriage on certain days and certain seasons. Let me give you a few examples. For instance, sex was forbidden on Thursdays because that's the day Jesus was arrested. It was forbidden on Fridays because that was the day of his death. On Saturdays, it was forbidden in honor of the Virgin Mary. You getting the idea here? On Sundays, it was forbidden in honor of departed saints. On Monday and Tuesday, you could have sex if you could fit it into your schedule somehow. Monday and Tuesday were okay. Wednesdays, most of them were off limits because of certain arcane reasons that would be too tedious for me to go into right now. But there was even more than that. Sex was forbidden during Advent season, the 40 days leading up to Christmas. It was forbidden during the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter. It was forbidden for 40 days leading up to Pentecost. It was also forbidden on certain feast days and days of the apostles. Now folks, if you add all that up, my head is already spinning. But if you add all of that up, that leaves you with 44 days out of 365 that you could legitimately have sex with, with your spouse. Is there any wonder that many people developed a negative view of sex in general? But hear me today, that is not what the Bible teaches. 
the scriptures teach consistently. We don't have time to look at all these. It would literally take us hours to explore them carefully. In Genesis 2, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in Ephesians chapter 5, in Hebrews chapter 13, and numerous other places. The Bible teaches that sexual intimacy in marriage is to be a frequent, wonderful, and joyful part of the marriage relationship. And all the happily married people said amen and amen, praise be to God for that, right? So that is not what Jesus is forbidding. Let me make the statement again. Jesus is not forbidding the joyful, meaningful, and free expression of sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage. It's expected, it's welcomed, and it is wonderful. But now let's turn a corner. Secondly, let's ask this question. If he's not forbidding that, what is Jesus prohibiting here? He's speaking to the issue of lust and how destructive that can be and how that that can be the seedbed for various actions. Let's look at it again, Matthew chapter five, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, before we define that, and we are gonna define it in a few moments, exactly what that means, let's be crystal clear on a couple of issues since not everybody reads the Bible that much, since not everybody is that familiar with what Scripture teaches consistently, Old and New Testament. Number one thing I want to make clear is premarital sexual relationships are outside of the will of God. They're outside of the will of God. Look with me at this verse from Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. In other words, awesome thing, wonderful. The one who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18, 22 says. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. In other words, it should be everything we just described, wonderful, wholesome, frequent, healthy sexuality. It's a meaningful expression of love, et cetera. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. No, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. I thought it's 2023. I thought all the rules were changing. I thought anything was okay now as long as, quote, nobody's getting hurt. Let's be absolutely clear on this. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it is not with the blessing of God that you are doing that. Oh, I know we live in a hookup culture. I know some of your friends think it's no big deal. But this verse that we have here is very clear about that. It uses two completely separate Greek words. One, translated fornicators, is describing premarital sex. And that would refer to homosexual activity or heterosexual activity. Both are outside of the will of God. And the word translated here as adulterer's completely different word is referring to extramarital sex of a homosexual or heterosexual nature. Now, 
I know if you're in a relationship right now and you're being intimate with someone, I know what you've done. If you have any qualms at all about that, any Christian leaning at all, you've convinced yourself that this is different. We, but see, we really love each other and, and this is going somewhere and it's okay because after all, it's 2023 and sexual, sexual intimacy is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Here's what God intends. He intends for you to bond with this person that's gonna be your mate for life, to bond with them spiritually, then to bond with them on a soulish level, which would involve your emotions, all the psychological aspects of that, and then ultimately, the ultimate culmination and consummation of that process is where you bond together physically. The second thing I wanna be clear about here is, and the scriptures are certainly crystal clear on this, is that all extramarital relationships are always outside of God's will, whether homosexual or heterosexual in nature. God's intention for marriage is that it's an exclusive, permanent relationship until death. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about divorce. I don't want you to miss that. I think it's gonna be very helpful. I think it's gonna be insightful. We're gonna do it in a very loving and compassionate way, but I think a very straightforward way because divorce is a harsh reality in our world. My guess is that virtually 100% of those of us listening right now have either been directly or indirectly impacted by the ramifications of divorce. So we're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna talk about all the dynamics of that and so on. I really believe God is going to help us get insight. But please don't miss the main point today. Sexual intimacy is such a powerful thing. God says, I've given you a place to express that where it's going to be a blessing and not a bane. Think about it like this. A car is a very powerful machine, I think you'd agree. But it's also an awesome responsibility to drive a car. Isn't that true? I mean, a, a car, a car poorly driven is dangerous. I mean, it can kill people. A car poorly driven can become a disastrous weapon if it gets in the hands of the wrong kind of person. So what does our government do? Well, they make all kinds of rules that govern it. You gotta be 16 years old. Come on, why do you have to be 16? Yeah, I gotta pass a test, two tests actually. Written test and actual driving test. And then they say, look, you can't drive if you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Are these guys killjoys? What's their problem? Why do they wanna be so oppressive? to the rest of us and keep us from expressing our freedom. And then on top of all that, get all these rules of the road. I can't believe it. Everywhere I look, I cannot get in my car without seeing rules everywhere. You got all kinds of lines on the road you have to follow and obey, all kinds of speed limits. I mean, all kinds of restrictions. What's wrong with our government? Don't they want us to enjoy driving? All those restrictions are for the benefit 
of people. For the benefit of the driver, the passengers, and everybody else. Because while driving is a wonderful privilege, it is also an awesome responsibility. Now, sex is a wonderful and powerful gift from God. I mean, God who designed it wants this powerful gift to be experienced in the safest, most meaningful, uninhibited environment possible. That's for our personal benefit and for the benefit of others in society. So he restricted sexual intimacy to marriage only. And outside of those parameters... Oh, sex initially creates enormous excitement, but in the end, it wounds and damages. So make no mistake, the phrase casual sex is one of the greatest misnomers anybody ever created. In the Old Testament, there's a sizzling story. I hope you'll go read it sometime. It's in the book of Genesis And in this story, there's a woman, Potiphar's wife, and she kind of makes an advance toward this young man named Joseph, who's a true believer, a true follower of the Lord. She says, hey, Joe, let's get it on, man. Hey, Joseph, come on, go to bed with me. Hey, it's Egypt. I mean, everybody has affairs here. My husband is away. He'll never find out. Let's Netflix and chill, Joe. (laughs) And you know what this guy did? Young man, virile, strong, well-built, single. He said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against my God? He He was a man of integrity. But see, Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus went beyond just talking about the act of sexual immorality, the act of adultery. He drills down to the source of it. He said, you've heard it said, don't do this. Well, yeah, that's right. But Jesus said, look, I wanna get to the source of this thing, to what the Bible calls the heart or the core of our being. By the way, the Bible uses that word, heart, to describe our inner person, who we really are. And it it talks about all kinds of conditions of our heart. It talks about a a deceitful heart, a contrite heart, a, a pure heart, a broken heart. We're to love God with all of our heart. We're to speak the truth from the heart. So many things it says. But listen to what Jesus said, because he said, the heart is the place that we begin to go off the rails. It it doesn't happen with some outward action. It happens in our imaginations and in our heart. Jesus said this, for from within, out of the heart of, of men and women, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come from inside and make a man or a woman unclean. According to Jesus, adultery doesn't begin with an act one day, it begins in the innermost thought life. So, if we're really wanting to 
get the spirit of this, if you're really wanting to please God, if you're really wanting to obey the Lord in this, we don't just pride ourselves, hey, I've never committed adultery. No, if we wanna be a faithful disciple, we need to try to do battle even in the thought life, even in the heart, because that's the source. Let's say that you're eating a snack one evening and your children are upstairs kind of getting ready for bed and, and you see a drop of water fall on the table where you're sitting and then it's followed quickly by another and then another and another, what are you gonna do? Are you just gonna be satisfied with getting a towel and mopping up the drips? No, <laughs> you're smart people. You know exactly what you'd do. You might throw a towel down, but then you'd run upstairs, and when you do, you see that sure enough, the kids have plugged up the drain, the bathtub is overflowing, the whole bathroom is a mess, and so what are you gonna do? You turn off the faucet, you pull the plug so the water can drain, and then you're gonna really lecture your kids, all right? You deal with the source, not just the symptoms. The law dealt with the act. It dealt with the results. It said, look, don't do the act. But Jesus said, let's go to the source of things. Don't look at a person lustfully. Don't commit adultery in your heart. Now, I wanna say again, I think that in our culture, both men and women really need to hear this because as I understand it, Internet pornography is at an all-time high, and it continues to rage. It's a multi, 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 multi-billion dollar industry in our country. Chat room fantasies are common. What the Bible calls evil imaginations. Lust is just an awful affliction for so many people. I have seen throughout my lifetime, people I know well, literally be pulled down and destroyed. Guys addicted to pornography and then they show no interest in their wives. A record number of women, and it's really growing in record numbers with women where they're getting addicted to pornography. So let's define what we mean by looking lustfully at someone. This is a definition that I think is a pretty good one. Lust is looking at a person or an image, a person or an image for the purpose. There's a motivation here. There's a motivation involved for the purpose of intentionally stimulating desire. Now, I've known some Christians who kind of take this to an extreme, and they think that it's even wrong to acknowledge that someone is a good-looking person or that there's beauty in the world. But I hope you'll agree with me that there's a difference between appreciating beauty and actually lusting after someone. I think we instinctively admire attractive people. When God converts you and saves you, he doesn't strike you blind, folks. I mean, you still recognize this is an attractive person. In fact, the Bible says that Rachel and Sarah were stunningly beautiful women. The Bible says that Absalom and Joseph were handsome, well-built guys. Now, somebody noticed that and wrote it down. 
in the Bible. Lust is looking at another person for the purpose or an image for the purpose with the motivation of stimulating desire. And let me just say before we leave this and turn our final corner and get really practical and apply it, let me just say, if it's wrong to deliberately stimulate that lust, then it's also, it's also wrong, if it's wrong to lust, it's also wrong to deliberately stimulate it, if you know what I mean. In other words, to be deliberately seductive. It's one thing to be attractive, it's another thing to be deliberately seductive. I think there is a significant difference. And the Bible warns that those who give alcohol to an alcoholic will be held accountable for that. In the same way, those who intentionally stimulate lust will be answerable for their contribution to sin. So in these final minutes together, I want us to turn the final corner here and ask this question, what does Jesus mean by plucking or gouging out eyes and cutting off hands? I mean, doesn't that sound kind of extreme? I mean, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Let's look at it again. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I remember traveling on the interstate not that long ago, and I came to this construction zone. Boy, they're so common, aren't they? Do you ever get tired of construction zones? I know they have to be done, but, but wow, wow, they're everywhere. I mean, the, you know, the closest thing between two points is always under construction, right? And so you had to slow way down to like 50 miles an hour or something. And that seems like you're crawling when you've been going 65, 70 miles an hour or 85, like many of you do. <laughs> and so you're just crawling along and there's, there's interesting signs that you see in construction zones, right? I, I remember two signs, one very positive and one negative. One was like a positive one that had, it was written in a child's kind of letters and it had the handprints of a child up on the sign and it says, slow down, my daddy works here. Kind of, kind of touches your heart. The other one was negative. It read, double fine for speeding in work areas. One is a heart plea, and the other is a downright threat. Now, I, I don't know which of those two is gonna motivate people the most. I have no idea. My, my guess, my guess is it'll be the one that touches their pocketbook because it always gets our attention when anything starts meddling with our money, that really gets our attention. Now in the Bible, Jesus used both positive and negative motivations to persuade people to live rightly. He said, look, if you love me, keep my command. Boy, that's so positive. Just keep my command. He said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're truly disciples of mine. You'll know the truth. Truth will set you free. Just so many wonderful, positive things that Jesus said. But he also said, if you don't obey me, you'll be cast into hell. Whoa. Wow. 
Jesus just tells it like it is. Obviously, I hope you know, he doesn't mean literally gouge out your eye if you lust because you can still lust with one eye. And I I suppose that even a completely blind person can engage inappropriate fantasies in their mind. So what does Jesus mean here by gouging out eyes and cutting off hands? Well, I find it interesting that in the same gospel, Matthew, same gospel we're in, later in chapter 18, Jesus adds another member of the body to this. Look at this. He said, if your hand or your foot, whoa, he didn't mention foot earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter the, into life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. So think about this. Jesus talked about eliminating the hand, the foot, the eye. Where's he going? What is this about? I like to think about it like this. The hand kind of speaks to what we do. You do things with your hands. They're the working agent. The foot kind of speaks to where we go, right? It takes us places. And the eye kind of speaks to what we see. Think about that. What you do, where you go, and what you see. And Jesus says, look, if what you're doing or if places you're going or if stuff you're looking at is causing you to sin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to deal with it drastically. Do whatever you need to do to keep that from being a stumbling block in your life. And that's Jesus' word to everyone who has ears to hear, to every one of us who would dare call ourselves his disciples today, who want to please him with our lives, who want to follow him in a wholehearted way. He says, look, do whatever you need to do because this is a big deal. Maybe you need to cancel the movie apps. Maybe you need to drop the magazine subscription. Move the computer to a public place. Maybe you need to sign up and get an accountability partner, someone who will see every site you click on. Maybe you need to buy the strongest filter money can buy and put it on that computer. Maybe you need to take a different route to work or don't go down that street anymore. Perhaps. You need to even change jobs. Do whatever is necessary to eliminate the stumbling block from your life. When I was a college student, I was a sincere Christian really wanting to follow Christ. Man, my hormones are raging. I mean, they are raging out of control. And this is pretty much every young man's battle. But I just believe in a culture like ours, it's every person's battle, really. And we had these mission trips that our college sponsored, and I went on a mission trip for three out of the four years of college. But here's the thing I want you to hear. We had mission trips every year to the beach. Beach witnessing. Going and sharing Jesus 
on Daytona Beach or Fort Lauderdale or some really massive beach with women in string bikinis all around. You know what? I said, that ain't gonna work for me. That, that's just, I just, I, I can't handle that. Now, only you and the Lord know what you can and cannot handle. But Jesus is saying today, do whatever you need to do to get victory. Now, some of you may be cynical and go, why such extreme measures? Can I tell you why? Because sexual sin can drag you down and destroy your life. You are in a battle for your eternal soul. And Satan is seducing you with the intention of dragging you to hell with him. And he knows that if he can get you to fantasize about adultery, even if you never act on it, your mind is gonna be so polluted, your conscience so numbed, you won't even be able to sense the Holy Spirit's prompting. Now, some of you are so addicted to this. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure you're living in the real world, dude. Man, I just, I don't think you get it. I, I don't think you get it. You see, when I get started down this road, I just can't stop. I don't believe you. I do not believe you. Let's say you're home alone and you just click on your computer on an X-rated movie and you're, a, you're just getting into it. You're, you're right into the movie and you look out your window and you see someone walking up your driveway and it's me walking up to knock on your door. It's me. Do you think you could quit? <laughs> I think you could. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus today, born again by the Spirit, bought by his blood, and dwelled by the Spirit on your way to heaven, listen, Jesus is living in you, Amen. and he's with you. It's all a matter of who you envision walking up to your door. And I'm fully convinced that his presence in you and with you can give you victory in this area. Now, after a message like this, you know what I think we all ought to do? Because nobody's innocent. Nobody's innocent. You know what I think this ought to cause us to do? Throw ourselves on the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus meets us right where we are. Do not let the enemy of your soul grind you down with guilt about all the things you've done and all the stuff you did just last night. Don't let him destroy your life in that way. Throw yourself on the amazing grace of God because here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for all those sins, not just the sexual ones, all of them. He paid the penalty that my sins and yours demanded. He incurred the just wrath of God on those sins. He bore it in himself on the cross. You know why he did that? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So examine yourself today and see whether you're in the faith. And if you are, you will take this seriously. Father, so many actions need to follow from a message like this. Some of us need to take drastic measures. Other of us need to just get alone and get quiet sometime today and have a good talk with you and say, Father, I want my life to be pure. I don't want to be kind of being corrupted in my heart. What do I need to do to make sure that I'm walking righteously before you? All kinds of responses need to be made, but Lord, would you guide us by your spirit because we are your people. We are your people and we want to please you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.